Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you guys are here. Good morning to everybody joining us online. We're so glad that y'all are here, too. Um, and so, man, we just want to keep going, keep pressing in. Um, I was reminded this morning in John chapter 8 of when the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus, basically, about who their father was. And, and there's just a scripture that stood out to me, and Jesus told them, because they were arguing that their father was Abraham. And, uh, but they were trying to get to God by works when Abraham was justified by faith. He was made righteous by faith. And, and so Jesus said, this is what he said. It was so simple. He just said, if you were of your father, you would do the works of your father. And I was just like, <laughs> he, he just like cut their knees off right there. And of course they tried, you know, they, they always think they're right. They always think there's, you know, some sort of porthole to, oh, no, I'm still right. But he said, if you were of your father, you would do the works of your father. You know what our father's really good at? He's good at giving. <laughs> like he gave everything. I don't know if you just heard the scripture, but, but he demonstrated his love in, in that while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. He gave everything that he had. And so he's really good giver. And so I just feel so strongly that if you were of your father and don't you can hate me, I don't care, it's scriptural. If you're of your father, you do the works of your father. And if that convicts you, listen, conviction is good. Conviction is good. Conviction is of God. Condemnation comes from the pit of hell, but conviction comes from heaven because conviction is to take us to another level. And if you're being convicted right now and you're given, I just feel like it's to take you to another level in, in, in that area. It's to be taken to another level because God loves a cheerful giver because he is a super abundantly cheerful giver. <laughs> if you are of your father, you would do the works of your father. It's really quiet. There's so many ways to give. There's so many different ways to give. If, if you want to give to, you know, there's, there's the youth, there's the junior high, there's the kids, there's Train Christian Academy, there's the DR van that we're raising money for. Uh, there's so many different ways that you can give. Uh, so many different things you can give into. We made it easy, guys. There's a text number. So easy. Everybody, almost everybody in this room has a smartphone. Very easy. Very easy. And so um, I just encourage you. I'd encourage you that if that convicted you or challenged you, answer, answer the call. Answer the call. And so um, ushers are going to stand. I'm going to pray, and we're going to keep going. And so, Father, I just thank you. Lord, I just thank you this morning. For your presence. Lord, I just thank you that, that Jesus, you made yourself a little lower than the angels, and you took on our flesh, and you overcame as us. And so, Lord, I just thank you that you gave us everything, and so we just give back what's already yours. Father, I thank you for the gift and the giver, for the tithe and the tither, for the seed and the sower. Lord, I thank you that you bless both, that you do far more with, with it than we could ever imagine doing. And so, Lord, I just thank you I pray that our hearts are prepared to receive from your medicine this morning, from your word, because it's life, Father. And I just thank you for everything that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to start a new series, probably go a couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Greg is in... Wichita, Kansas this week from Sunday morning till Wednesday night, hosting their homecoming at Glorious Bible Church. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting that, uh, you know, he's going out and spreading the gospel in another place. But we're right here this morning, and I believe 
that God has a word for us, something that he's really been stirring in my heart. And um, as Noah was kind of ministering to us during transition, there were so many things that he was saying. I was like, yeah, I want to get on that. I want to get on that. I'm like, there's so much to be said about that. But the Holy Spirit, I know now, is confirming what he's wanting to say to us. You know, Noah was saying that heaven isn't a destination. You know, heaven is actually an influence. And heaven wasn't ever promised to Adam. Did you know Adam wasn't ever promised heaven? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Already going to be kicking over some of your sacred cows, but Adam wasn't ever, he wasn't ever promised heaven. He wasn't ever created in heaven. Did you know Adam, when he fell, he didn't fall from heaven. <laughs> Heaven is an influence. And Jesus didn't come to take you to heaven. Jesus came to get heaven in you. And the reason why he did that, you know what Noah was saying this morning, he was talking about how Jesus saved the ungodly. The reason he saved you wasn't so that he could take you to heaven. It was so that he could now put heaven in you so that he could get heaven through you and into the earth, which was what he always desired to do. You know, Jesus, when he, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know what he, what he told them to pray for? That the kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is an influence that God intends to express in the earth through you and through me, through the church, through the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And um, so God wants to use you. You know, he don't just want to use those who are anointed to five-fold ministry. He doesn't want to just use a church leadership. He wants to use you. Amen. I'm going to say that again. He wants to use you. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what has happened to you in your life. God's intent for you has never changed. Amen. It never has changed. So turn to Genesis chapter 1. You know, in the last couple of years, we have... We have uh, experienced a lot of different things. The, the world has changed. The world has changed. There's been a lot of things come against the church in the last couple of years and things we've never experienced before. And though all the, a lot of things have changed, let me tell you, God has never changed. In fact, God never does change. His intent in the beginning has not changed. God still will accomplish what he set out to do from before the foundation of the earth. The only question is, is do you want to be a part of it or not? Do I want to be a part of it or not? Because listen, this morning, what I'm going to minister to you this morning and next week is not, I'm not going to put this on you. I'm putting this first on me because I've been uh, taking an honest and humble assessment of my spiritual life. How many of you in the last couple of years have believed for things or, been, or maybe still are believing for things and you're not seeing the manifestation? You're not seeing the results that this book says you should see. Yeah, I see a lot of heads. I see a lot of heads shaking. Yes. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we need to take a humble and honest assessment of ourselves. 
Because if we're not getting the results that this word says we should get, then we need to look at us. And we need to see why we're not getting the results that we should be getting. You know, religion, what religion will say, we don't see this, so we just assume that God doesn't want it. <laughs> Which is a convenient theology because anything that we're powerless to make happen, we just blame it on God. The reason we're not seeing the results. Oh, man. We need to take a humble and honest assessment of our results. And if we're not seeing what the Bible says we should see, we need to realize that maybe, maybe, just maybe, we need to make some adjustments. Because listen, Jesus, and let me just say this, every person in this building should be shaking their head yes. You know why? Because Jesus is our standard. So until we're seeing the same results that Jesus was seeing, <laughs> none of us have arrived. Listen, I know we've seen great and amazing things. We've seen miracles. We've seen awesome things that God has done through the church. But until we're seeing results the way Jesus saw results, we haven't arrived yet. So I'm going to say right now, none of us have arrived. We need to take an honest, humble assessment of ourselves and see why we're not seeing the results that we know that this Bible says we should see. And listen, it's never on God's end. I'm telling you, the problem is not on his end. I was talking to a brother about a month ago, I think it was, and he was telling me, he said, man, he said, I was, I was believing for this and I was praying for this. And he said, and I didn't see it come to pass. He said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, I don't know why it is, but I know one thing, it's not on God's side. <laughs> he said, so you mean that it's on my end? Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. It's not on God's end. <laughs> the problem is on our end. Listen, the problem's not with the giver. The giver's not the problem. The problem's the receiver. Man, and until we, until we get to that place where we realize, listen, the problem's not... Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places he said everyone say this say every so how many has he not given us already if he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places he hasn't withheld anything from us and then Peter says in 2nd Peter chapter 1 that he has given unto us all things say all things all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. He has given unto us all things. Listen, what we got to realize is that, and you know, pastors have been ministering on our identity, is that through our union with Christ, God has already made us a possessor of the divine life. I'm talking about through our union with Jesus. Because in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 17, it says that he has, who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Oh, my goodness. 
That means I have been united to Christ so completely spiritually that my spirit isn't even you know, like his, but you have been made one spirit with him. <laughs> You've been made one spirit with him and through that new creation, God has made us a possessor of the divine life, of the anointing, of the divine power of God. It's already on the inside of us and he has qualified us to be partakers of that divine nature. The problem is not on the side of the giver. The problem's on the side of the receiver. Listen, in Christ, God has already moved on behalf of every man. We gotta break, we gotta, we gotta break this mindset that we're waiting on God to decide to move. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to counter a lot of, a lot of religious tradition and, and a lot of unbelief. I'm going to be countering a couple hundred, few hundred years worth of wrong teaching in the church. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say that. I'm going to be countering wrong teaching in the church because, listen, there's only three scriptural reasons why we don't see results. Jesus gave three scriptural reasons why we don't see results. Either ignorance, we just don't know, or tradition, we've been taught something wrong, or unbelief, we just refuse to believe what the word says. There are no other reasons. Those, you deal with those, we're gonna have the results that the Bible says that we should have. So I'm gonna be countering a lot of those things. But listen, we gotta break the mindset that we are waiting on God to move. You know, we've heard all of these prophecies about end-time revival and how the, that there's going to be a great move of God. What do you think is the reason why we're not seeing it? You think God's sitting up there going, well, it's not time yet. Like we're waiting on God. We're praying, waiting on God to send something. When he sent the very fullness of his Holy Spirit and his anointing on the day of Pentecost, and it's been available to the church ever since then. We've just been duped into not partaking of what we are already a possessor of. We've been duped by the devil and his religious teaching that he's put through the church to cause us to not believe what this Bible explicitly tells us belongs to us. Listen, God is not judging on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, we think that when we need healing in our body or something, we pray to God about it. And then he goes, well, okay, let me look at this here and see. Have you been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? We think that God judges on a case-by-case -case basis. And then when somebody gets healed, it's because he goes, okay, I'm going to grant that to them. God is already judged on the basis of Jesus. Problem is we haven't believed what God did for us through Jesus. Hallelujah. God has already moved on behalf of every man. Think about it in terms of salvation. When you hear the gospel, 
Does God do something when you believe it? And you, no. When you hear the gospel, you simply by faith reach out and partake of what was already provided by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So why do we think that way when it comes to healing or deliverance? Or things like that. It's not, there's no difference. They were all part and parcel of the same atonement. God is not judging on a case by case basis. So let me just put the responsibility where it lies. And that's square on the shoulders of the church. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. In verses 26 through 28, and I just want to establish God's intent from the very beginning. Because listen, his intent has not changed. I'm telling you, just because the devil got in the middle of what was going on, God didn't go, okay, well, we're going to do something different. (laughs) He says in verse 26, now this is after the creation of the heavens and the earth. This is after God created the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. So everything is complete, and then God creates man. So he says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now get this. This is the verse I want you to see. Then God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. You know, that word subdue means to bring under your control by force. Oh, my. God created everything. He created Adam. He gave him authority to subdue the earth and to have dominion, which means to rule over it, to have executive authority over the earth. He gave Adam that... Here's one thing I want you to see. Authority is responsibility. We know the story. We know that Adam and Eve, you know, in the garden, that the serpent came, tempted Eve, and then Adam disobeyed God and partook of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me ask you a question. Whose responsibility was it to resist the serpent? So why didn't God just step in and go, oh, no, we ain't having that? Why? Because when you have been given authority, you have just been given the responsibility. God gave responsibility to rule on earth to mankind. And Adam, all he would have had to do is resist the serpent take authority over him and cast him out and there would not have been a problem 
But Adam, he abdicated his responsibility and he sided with the devil. He sided with the serpent. And because, listen, when God gave authority to Adam, he limited his own authority by his word. Because God will never go against his word. His word is law. He says, I will never uh, go against the word that has proceeded out of my mouth. His word he calls a covenant. And he says, I will never break the thing that goes forth out of my mouth. So when God gave authority to mankind, he limited his own authority to having to work through man. But there are parts of the body of Christ today that will tell you that God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do and he will do whatever he wants to do. But I'm telling you that if he did that, he would be breaking his own word. It's a convenient theology because I can just put everything off on God and I'm not taking responsibility for what he's given me to do. Well, it must have been God's will. Or it must not have been God's will. <clears throat> See, this extreme sovereignty idea is just man's attempt to justify his own powerlessness and unbelief. This extreme sovereignty doctrine where God is in control of everything. And listen, God is sovereign. He is the highest in power. He's the highest in authority. He has the ability to do whatever he wants. God is large and in charge. But by his own sovereign choice, he gave authority on earth to men. And when he did that, he limited his own authority by covenant, by his word. And he will not break it. I'm taking my time because I want to just set a foundation for the rest of what we're going to talk about. But when we're not seeing what this Bible says that we should see, it's, it's on our end where the problem is. <clears throat> God gave authority to us. You know, power is different than authority. Power is the ability to act. Power is the ability to act. But authority is the right to act. And more than that, the responsibility to act. Listen, God is not going to do what he told us to do. We need to repent. <laughs> we need to repent of wanting God to do what he told us to do. Mm. We need to repent of wanting God to do what he told us to do because authority is not just the right. It's the responsibility to act. And God has placed certain things in the authority of the body of Christ. And we've been praying. I'm just going to say we've been praying, asking God to do what he told us to do. Mm -mm. we have been asking God to do what he told us to do you know Jesus came and he showed us what a man operating in this type of authority would look like you know in John chapter 1 verse 4 it says that in him was life and the life was the light of men 
you know, we know that that life is the very life of God, the divine life, the Zoe life of God, the very life as God has it in the eternal and heavenly realm was in Jesus, and it was on display for all to see. And one thing that that showed us is it showed us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him. But there's another aspect to what he came to show us. He came to show us who God intended us to be. Jesus was not just an example for us. He is an example of us. He is an example of what the new creation, of what a man under the authority of God is able to do and responsible to do in the earth in subduing the earth and having dominion and ruling over it and resisting what we're supposed to resist and releasing what we're supposed to release. See, God didn't want to rule earth directly. He wanted to rule earth indirectly through sons made in his image and in his likeness. And Jesus came and he showed us what that looked like when he spoke to the storm and he caused it to be still. When he spoke to a dead man and caused him to be raised. When he cleansed the leper. When he healed blind eyes. When he caused the lame to walk. He showed us what a man operating in the highest level of authority on earth could do. He showed us who God intended us to be. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You know, Jesus did those works not to show us that he was the son of God, but he was showing us what it would look like when a son of man operated in the power and authority that God always intended us to have. Religious teaching will tell you that Jesus did miracles to show us that he was God. It's funny to me, he didn't do that as as God. The Bible says how that God, you know how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is his human name. It's not talking about him being God. It says how that God, think about this, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Listen, what is the anointing? The anointing is the power of God. God doesn't need anointed with the power of God. But God anointed Jesus, the man, with the Holy Ghost and power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. See, if he came and he did those things as God, we couldn't duplicate them. The reason he came and he was anointed by God, by the Holy Spirit, was so that he could show us what we were going to do when we were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River? And when he baptized me, come up out of the water, heaven opened, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and land upon him and stay upon him. Do you know before that event, Jesus never did a miracle? Mm. Well, if he was doing miracles as God, he could have been doing them his whole life. But his intent wasn't to come and do that. In fact, it was illegal. 
It is illegal for God to come into the earth and start destroying the works of the devil. Man. It would be illegal for God to come to the earth and start destroying the works of the devil. Because God gave who authority? He gave man authority. And so Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And it says, for God was with him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> for God was with him. You know, 1 John chapter 3 says this, for this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to show us what God always intended for us to do so how did he do it he was doing it by the power of God but by the authority of man you know there's a story I'm not going to go to it for the sake of time but in Matthew chapter 21 Jesus had healed had been healing on the Sabbath day which got the religious people really upset and um, they came to him and they said by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? Oh, man, I love Jesus. I love the way he does things. He said, well, let, he said, here's what we'll do. I'll ask you a question. And if you answer me, I'll tell you. So he said, tell me, John's baptism, was it of heaven or was it from man? And they were afraid to answer because if they said it was from heaven, they knew he would say, well, then why didn't you believe him? And they said, and then they thought, but if we say it was from man, then they'll want to stone us because they believed John was a prophet. And they said, well, we can't tell you. We don't know. <laughs> and... Uh, Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you either. <laughs> but, you know, the answer would have been both. Do you remember the story where they brought the, the where they came and, and they were asking him about paying taxes? And Jesus said, give me a coin. Whose inscription? He showed them there's two sides. It's the same thing. The answer would have been that it was from man and it was from heaven. The authority he was doing it by was man's authority, but the power that he was operating in was God's power. I hope you're getting the picture that I'm, what I'm trying to show you is that you have, <clears throat> just by being a, a man on earth, you have authority. In fact, even an unbeliever has authority over the devil. I'm going to say that again. Even an unbeliever has authority that's, great, that's greater than the devil on earth. Because an unbeliever can say no. Man, we got to get this. The devil had illegal authority on earth. He got Adam to let him use his authority. But... but but Satan's use of it is illegal. So I'm telling you, if Satan is exercising authority over your life, it's illegal. 
And just by your authority alone in your personal life, you can say no to, you can say no to the works of Satan. That's why sin, once you're, especially once you're born again, there, there is no, it's an act of our will when we do. Oh, man. There's another convenient theology. Well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the point is, is the same Holy Ghost and power that anointed Jesus Oh, man, is the same Holy Ghost and power that God sent on the day of Pentecost that's available to every born-again believer who will just ask. He said, if any man asked me for the Holy Spirit, would I not give him? Oh, man. This... The same Holy Ghost and power that anointed Jesus is the same Holy Ghost and power that has anointed you if you have been receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may not be operating in that power, but it's the same Holy Ghost and power that Jesus had. It's not a lesser power. It's the same, man, we gotta get this. That's why Jesus said, whoever believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do. I'm not going to finish it. Because until we do the works that he did, then who do he, there's no sense in arguing about the rest of it. <laughs> well, what are the greater works? No, forget that. Do the works that Jesus did first. We'll talk about the rest once we get that down. <laughs> Man. It's just a bunch of religious crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> and religious people love to argue. Amen. Jesus said himself, look in John chapter 5. Why did Jesus say he was able to do these things? And while you're turning, I'm just going to say this. We got to get this right. And the reason why is not so that we can see the power of God manifested in this building. The reason why is because the gospel is supposed to be accompanied by demonstration. <clears throat> because if we only have a doctrine, we're no different than any other religion in the world. We got to get this right because when we go share the gospel with somebody, we should have we should have the ability to demonstrate it. You know what? As I've been thinking about it, it it's really breaking my heart and convicting me about that. People can argue with a doctrine. But listen, Jesus healed, did miracles. There's no arguing with that. In fact, in the book of Acts, whenever, uh, Jesus, whenever they had healed the lame man, they brought him before the Pharisees. You know what they said? A, a, notable, a notable miracle has happened. We can't argue with that. <laughs> they might argue how. They might be able to argue how, but they can't argue with the fact that a miracle's happened. 
we got to get this right. Jesus said in John chapter 5, this was after he had healed, after he had healed a man. And in verse 27, well, let's look at verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. It didn't say he has the authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of God. It said he has, he has authority to execute judgment on behalf of God because he's the Son of Man. Authority is given to men. Jesus himself said it was, he didn't say it was because he's the son of God. He said it was because he is the son of man. And here's the thing, Jesus, God didn't only intend that Jesus would come and operate in this, and then he would leave, and we would be left with a doctrine. He always intended that the church would carry on the demonstration of the gospel, Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing, explaining, proclaiming, and demonstrating. And that has to be, that has to be our mode of operation if we're going to see a move of God. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but we have got to realize that God doesn't move independent of the body of Christ. He moves through the body of Christ. We have got to realize that we're not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God. <laughs> and if God's not moving, it's because we're not moving. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus, when he began his ministry, after he had gone around and discipled, you know, with his disciples, he had shown them what he was doing. Did you know then he expected them to go do it? Man. These guys weren't even born again. <laughs> they were simply operating off the authority that Jesus gave them to use his authority and anointing. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, And when he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power. It's in the New King James. It's actually the word exousia in the Greek, which means authority. So he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Drop down to verse 7. He says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, for freely you've received, freely give. Man, what would have happened if they would have gone out and then they would have said, all right, we found somebody who's sick. Now, let's go back and get Jesus. Jesus, we, we got a sick guy over here. Will you come over here and heal him? <laughs> what, do you what do you think he would have said? 
Well, I can tell you what he said. Because in Mark chapter 9, they couldn't heal the, the little boy, and they brought him to Jesus. And he said, how long will I bear with you, you faithless generation? Man, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? <laughs> Why? Because once he gave them the authority, they had the responsibility to do what he told them to do. They had the responsibility to believe and act on what Jesus had told them. Man. And, it, and he said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. <clears throat> if you notice, he didn't say pray for the sick. This, here's another sacred cow. <laughs> or... <laughs> he didn't say pray for the sick he said heal the sick because see here's what we do we pray for the sick and then if we don't see the results well it, it, it's on him and even worse God if it be your will that's a statement of unbelief. Man. Goodness. Heal the sick. You say, well, that was the 12 disciples. Well, if you go to Luke, we're not going to, but if you go to Luke 10, he called 70 of his disciples. And the very same thing, go read it. The very same thing. He gave them authority to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out devils, raise the dead. He told them to go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what that means? Is it's within your grasp. The kingdom of heaven is here. But he didn't expect them to just believe it because they said it. Then he said, heal the sick, <laughs> cleanse the leper. You know what that is? When we do a miracle, it gives evidence to the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here and that it's superior to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. It's up to us to believe and use the authority that God has given us. Not pray that God would do it. Listen. Oh man, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> we know the story when Jesus asked them, Who do men say that I am? You know, you know the story. Then he turns, he says, Who do you say that I am? Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus gets excited because he said, You got this by revelation. No one told you this. And then in verse 18, he says, And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, keys denote authority. We don't just give a key to anybody who wants a key to this building. We give them to people that we've gave authority to to oversee ministries. 
so that they can have access. Keys denote authority. Jesus was saying, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And he didn't say keys to the kingdom. Listen, if you came to a hotel and you had a key to get in the front door, you have a key to the hotel. But if you had a key that would open every door, then you got the keys of the hotel. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus is the, the door into the kingdom. But after that, he's given us the keys of the kingdom, which means he's given us the authority to open doors and close doors. You need to see these words as, you know, we use bind and loose, and we use them, you know, and I'm not going to go against that, but we just say, I bind this, I loose this. But actually what it really means is forbidding and permitting things. What Jesus was saying is that it's your responsibility to forbid what heaven forbids. It's your responsibility to loose what heaven loose. In fact, in the Amplified Bible, if you look at it, man, this is powerful. It says, I give you the authority to bind what has already been bound in heaven. Oh, man. And loose what's already loosed in heaven. What's bound in heaven? Well, there's no sickness. There's no disease. There is no disorder. There is no addiction. There is no death. We are able to bind what's already forbidden in heaven and loose what's already loosed in heaven. What's loosed in heaven? Life, health, abundance, peace, joy. He didn't say, I'm going to do it for you. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Listen, we can't just use this authority on whatever we want. It won't work. It only works on what God has already declared to be bound in heaven and what God has already declared to be loosed. But to get it into the earth is our responsibility. Oh, man. It's our responsibility to bind or forbid. Man, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not up here pretending like I've got this all worked out. I'm just going to be, you know, honest with you. I've struggled with sickness. But I'm not going to blame God. I'm going to take an honest and humble assessment of where I'm at. And I'm determined to pursue the results that Jesus had. That's where we got to get. Listen, religion will tell you you have to put on this front like you got it all figured out. Oh, man. That's prideful. That's prideful. To pretend like that's hypocrisy. To pretend like I've got everything all figured out when really I don't and I've not got the results and everybody can see it. <laughs> like I'm hiding it. I mean, why hide it anymore? Why don't we just get humble and honest about where we're at with God and cry out to him and repent of our unbelief 
and allow him to do a work in us so that he can start doing a work through us. So that we'll stand up, take our responsibility, exercise the authority that God's given us, and use the power of the Holy Ghost. Man, he's given us. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 28. You know, after Jesus, after Jesus died and was raised again, right before he ascended back into heaven, he's with his disciples. And remember, when he gave authority to the 12 and he gave authority to the 70, he was still here on earth. They were operating off his anointing and his authority. But here in Matthew 28, he's about to leave. And he's putting the kingdom in the hands of these men. And he tells them this. He says in verse uh, 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. The word therefore means it's referring to what he just said. So he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. He just, right there, he transferred his authority to the body of Christ. And then he ascended into heaven. Listen, Jesus left the earth, but Christ never did. Christ is the anointing, and the anointing was left here on the earth, on the body of Christ, and the responsibility to exercise the authority of that anointing is on the church. Yeah, we've allowed the devil to make us feel like we gotta ask God to use what he already told us to use. It's deception. He said, go, therefore. That's the transfer of the authority that Jesus had to the body of Christ. You know, I remember a story E.W. Kenyon was talking about that he was ministering along these lines. And while he was ministering, a man stood up in the crowd and said, I'm a lawyer. I have a question. He said, are you saying that Jesus gave the church power of attorney? And he said, well, you're the lawyer, you tell me. And he said, well, if words mean anything, Jesus gave power of attorney to the church. <laughs> power of attorney means a legal authority to execute the will on the behalf of another person. And E.W. Kenyon asked him, he said, well, what is the value of this power of attorney? He said, it's dependent on the power that's behind the person who granted it. Oh, my goodness. Man, that's convicting. That tells me the same power that was available to Jesus to execute authority, and it's the very same power. I'm just going to, I'm quit saying authority, I'm going to say responsibility. Because that's the whole key to this message that I want us to get is that authority is responsibility. And we got to quit shirking our responsibility by blaming God for things that we're not doing and making excuses for it. Oh, man. 
In Mark chapter 16, it's the same occurrence, but he gives us a little more information. He gives us a little more information. He says in verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name. That's power of attorney. In my name. Listen. In my name they will cast out demons they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it will by no means hurt them and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover he doesn't say they'll pray and ask God to heal this person and then that person will recover no it says they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover This is the scope of the authority that God has given us uh, through Jesus' name, that we can exercise every bit of power that Jesus demonstrated in his ministry when he was on the earth. My goodness. He transferred that authority to us and told us to go and to do it. So two areas are revealed here. One is the, ex the execution of power, casting out devils, healing the sick. The other is evangelism, preaching the gospel. Both are under the authority of the church. And here's where I'm going to get us. We all want to exercise the power. <laughs> we want to do it in here, though, where it's safe. Uh-oh. <laughs> but did you know it's our responsibility to go and preach the gospel man well we'll pray that God will send them well how's that going to work did you know in Acts chapter 10 Cornelius was a devout man he wasn't a Jew but he was a devout man who who prayed for the Jews and gave many alms to them. He was praying, an angel appeared to him. And he says, send for one named Peter. He's in Joppa and bring him to you so that he can tell, give you a message, basically. Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel? Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel? Why did they have to go get Peter and bring him back to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his house. Why? Because angels don't have authority to preach the gospel. Who has authority to preach the gospel? Who has the responsibility to go and preach the gospel to every creature? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Did he say pray that they'll come to the church? That's where we've been messed up for a while. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We've been saying, come to the church. Hey, come to the church. And we've tried to market and we've tried to make it as comfortable for people to come. We've tried to bring them in by all kinds of programs and things like that. No, when we go out and we preach the gospel and execute and demonstrate the power and the reality of the kingdom of God, we will get people saved, healed, set free, and they'll want to come to the church house. <clears throat> sorry <laughs> I 
Do you know you can't pray someone into the kingdom? You can pray for them. You can pray. Here's how Jesus said to pray. Listen, we probably ought to see how Jesus said to do it. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. That's how we pray. You know how they prayed in Acts chapter 4? Lord, give us that boldness that we will speak your word while you stretch forth your hand to heal and do miracles. Man. Goodness. I have to admit in my life, whenever I first got saved, I prayed for people. I didn't care where they were at. <laughs> you know, what's changed? It's not under the authority of angels. It's not under God's authority. If we're going to reach the lost, we're going to do it. And if they're not getting reached in our generation, it's not God's fault. <laughs> And every this is for every member of the body of Christ. The church was never meant to be a stagnant, in a stagnant position. It's supposed to be a movement. It, see, the gospel should be preached in the, in the grocery store, the convenience store, in the schools. See, we abdicated our responsibility with that because the schools used to be under the authority of the church, and we just gave it over to the government. That's why you got CRT, and that's why you've got uh, all of this gender confusion in the, ch in the schools. Why? Because we gave over our authority. We had it. The church had the authority over the schools, and we gave it over to the world. The gospel's supposed to be preached in the schools. It's supposed to be preached in the marketplace. It's supposed to be preached on the job. It's supposed to be preached everywhere we go where lost people are. It's supposed to be preached and it's supposed to be demonstrated. You know, the bad thing about this message is now I gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. You better cover your ears if you don't want to be responsible. <laughs> Listen, God never said to pray and ask him to do something about the devil either. Oh, God, just please do something about the devil. He is kicking my butt. Well, God didn't do anything about it. He's still kicking my butt. <laughs> You know, James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Re submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Yeah. You know, the understood subject of that sentence is you. <laughs> God said you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Here's the problem. If we don't do this, we're going to be submitting rather than subduing. We're going to be submitting to things. We have all the power and all the authority to subdue and bring under our control. First Peter chapter 5 says, you resist him. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Resist him. You. Pray that God would resist him? No. You resist him. 
You resist him. We have to accept our authority, our responsibility as the body of Christ, because God doesn't move independent of the church. He moves through the church. In fact, you know, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. It says, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Think about this. There are no limits. There are no limits. And here's the thing. The church will agree. There are no limits to what God can do. <clears throat> he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. He can. But then it says, according to the power that's at work in you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, man. There's a limit right there. Because it's according to the power, not that's in you, but that's at work in you. Mm. There's a difference. Because the power that's in you is the unlimited power of the divine life and anointing of God Almighty. It's on the inside of us, and it's, it's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or even imagine. And I can imagine a lot, but it's beyond that. But here's the key. It's according to the power that's at work within me. Oh, man. Hallelujah. I ran out of time a long time ago, but... Next week, I want to talk about how do I exercise that power and authority? How do I exercise that authority? You know, we have got to begin to believe. We've got to take these verses that I shared with you today. We need to meditate on those. And we need to get convinced in our own heart that we have all the power and full authority to execute God's will on the earth and do the same works that Jesus did. I'm not saying going, oh yes, pastor. Yes, I agree with that. Because listen, biblical knowledge is not intellectual. It's experiential. If I say that I know something spiritually, but I'm not experiencing it or doing it, I don't know it. I may know it in my mind, but, the, but biblical knowledge is experiential. That's the problem is the church has had an intellectual knowledge of God, an intellectual knowledge of the gospel where we say, yes, that's true, that's true, but we don't ever do it. Until it gets done, we don't know it. Oh, well, we're really proud of all that we know in our head. But I'm telling you, it doesn't do any good because faith without works is dead. It can't accomplish anything. Can it save anybody? No. Can it heal anybody? No. Can it deliver anybody? No. Oh, man. So next week, we're going to talk about how to exercise it. And listen, if you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus as Lord of your life. Listen, he already shed his blood for you. Your forgiveness is already secured. All you have to do is believe that and act on that by declaring Jesus is Lord. And you will be saved. You'll be born of God. And then you're, you're qualified to receive this anointing, this Holy Ghost baptism. This power from heaven, this power from on high to give you the ability to accomplish what Jesus accomplished. If you have sickness in your body, you want, you want somebody to heal you this morning? <laughs> they won't do it. God will do it through them. 
But if you want to come up and, and have somebody agree with you for what this word says, we're going to have people up here that are, man, they are not only qualified, but they are waiting and willing and wanting to exercise this in your life. So I want to just let you know they're going to be here. Just come up and uh, have your needs met this morning. Jesse's going to come and give us some announcements.